Well, good morning. It's great to see each of you. A lot of new faces, and I'd love to meet you after the worship service if you can stick around. Uh, if you are new, we've been going through a rather lengthy uh, study of the Gospel of Luke, and we're more than halfway through. We're in Luke 18, and you can follow along as I read. This is our Gospel reading. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are talking this morning about the problem of prayer and that we find it oftentimes so difficult to pray. We have a variety of reasons for that. Some of us are here maybe for the first time or maybe back in church for the first in a long time, and we have concerns about whether you're going to answer. We have questions about whether you're really there. Others of us have prayed for many long hours over certain things that we believe that you should care about, and yet we don't see you answering. Others of us are just distracted by the busyness of life. We are diverted. Our attentions are elsewhere. Lord, help us. Would you meet us? Would you help our unbelief? Would you help us learn how to pray, how to have faith, how to hold on, how to not lose heart? Wherever we're coming from this morning, we're not here by accident. Would you meet us with your grace? Would you meet us with the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two things that you're never supposed to do as a preacher. First of all, you don't give away the ending right from the beginning because then people start looking at their watches and planning where they're going to go to lunch. Secondly, you never explain a story. It's like a joke. If you have to explain a story, it didn't work. But Luke tells us right up front the point of the parable. And he tells us that's something that Jesus rarely does. And he tells us right at the front that they should always pray and not give up or not lose heart. Leonard Bernstein was a composer who died in 1990, and in celebration of the opening of the Kennedy Center, he wrote a mass, a contemporary mass, rock, jazz, uh, and blues, all combined to write what he called an honest mass, not pious sentiments of a bygone era, but one that would honestly express the religious Uh, attitudes of the day and skepticism. And he said, I think the most troubling and most disheartening part of the liturgy is not the credo. It's not what you say you believe. The most troubling part is let us pray. 
You see, one might be able to affirm the credo. You might be able to say, well, this is what I believe, but that's theoretical. It's different when you say, let us pray. It's different when you, as an individual, we as a congregation, begin to set out to pray because then what we believe actually has to take shape in daily life. It actually has to be applied to how you and I go about living. You're praying to a very particular God. You're communicating with one particular personal God. That's much more difficult than just affirming belief. In Bernstein's Mass, during the chorus, a lone voice cried out, If I could, I'd confess, good and loud, nice and slow. Get this load off my chest. Yes, but how, Lord, I don't know. What I say, I don't feel. What I feel, I don't show. What I show isn't real. What is real, Lord? I don't know. No, 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 I don't know. Jesus told them this parable in order that they might pray always and not lose heart. Now, Bernstein seems to assume that the problem of prayer is a modern problem because of the skepticism of the age that prayer has all of a sudden become a problem, but it's not. It's an ancient problem. It's a problem because prayer pulls what we say we believe into everyday life. And in some way, what Jesus is saying is that prayer is indicative that faith is actually real. Now, this passage doesn't exist on its own. It's part of the larger book of Luke that we've been looking at. And last week, as G- uh, Steve was talking—Steve, Jesus, I almost conflated those two— <laughs> He taught, Steve taught us, uh, as Jesus said in chapter 17, verse 22, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Do you see what Jesus is saying? There will come a time where it will be difficult to hold on. It will be difficult. It will be easy to lose heart. It will be hard to pray. He's talking here about faithful waiting. He's talking about not losing heart, even when it doesn't seem to make sense to press on anymore. He's talking about maintaining a hopeful faith, even when God doesn't show up in the way that you or I would like him to. For Luke, for Jesus, the problem of prayer is not a problem of discipline. It's not a problem of technique. It's not a problem of regularity. The problem is different and it's deeper. Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What, what he's saying here is that prayer is a metonym for hopeful resurrection faith that will hold on until the end. When he's talking about prayer, he's connecting it with faith, with holding on, with faithful resurrection hope. Jesus is teaching his disciples He's teaching those who were closest to him, those who had seen the miracles, those who had walked with him for a number of years. But what about us? What about you and I as we stand at such a historical distance from Jesus? After all of these centuries, isn't it easy just to lose heart? Isn't it easy to give up? 
few years ago, the New York Times read an article on the decline of churches in Western Europe. Why were people no longer going to church in such a formerly Christian area of the world? And of course, there's pockets of religious fervor uh, all throughout Europe still today. But the majority of Europeans stopped going to church many years ago. And the Times asked people why they stopped going. Why does religion not matter to them any longer? And of course, the reasons that they gave were varied. But one of the things that came through over and over was the simple fact that most Europeans saw prayer as totally irrelevant and useless. A whistling in the dark, one interviewer, an interviewee said. Whistling in the dark that's a sorry substitute for actually doing something about life's difficulties. You see, according to that study, once people stopped having the faith that fueled prayer, suddenly the whole of the Christian life seemed withered and out of date and very impractical. After all of these centuries, looking around at the state of the world, isn't it easy to lose heart? Throughout the world, the poor struggle with finding adequate food, clothing, shelter, Another day of looking for water, of finding medicine. Another day of looking for work. Every day, people, even in our own congregation and certainly throughout our city, fight addiction and wonder why their compulsions seem to have so much power, even though they pray regularly. Wives live in fear of their husbands' anger and violence. Parents grieve over the loss of a child, or couples grieve because they can't have a child. A student considers hurting themselves or hurting someone else because of an injustice inflicted on them by their peers. These are just a few of the widows in Jesus' parable, and the list could go on and on. They pray for and demand change. They ask God to intervene and make things different, and day after day, it's the same. Injustice reigns over mercy and it's not right. They know it, we know it, and God knows it. And many in our world live and die standing before unjust judges in the many shapes that they take. If the widow takes many forms in our world, the unjust judge also wears many disguises, prejudice, hatred, fear, diseases that won't be healed, repressive economic systems, death, Grief, men abusing their strength, churches comforting the wealthy and the powerful and neglecting the poor and the weak. Isn't it easy to give up? Isn't it easy to lose heart? When you're standing before an unjust judge, life seems overwhelming and you feel small and powerless and weak and most importantly, alone. It doesn't seem that there is anyone who understands your situation. It doesn't seem that there's anyone there to defend or represent you. And no matter what you do or say, nothing seems to work. Nothing seems to change. Where is Jesus? Where are his promises? You believe the credo, but like so many in Europe, prayer seems to be a whistling in the wind. Or maybe you've dismissed Christianity out of hand for this very same reason. The parable that Jesus tells about the widow and the unjust judge makes perfect sense. The unjust are constantly oppressing the weak and the widow, and it's only through ingenuity, only through perseverance, only through your own personal strength that you can get out from under 
that thumb. The parable makes sense, but Jesus' point doesn't make sense. He told them this parable in order that they might pray always and not lose heart. What's the connection that Jesus is making in this parable? The world is unfair, but keep praying? Surely there's more to this than that. In fact, there has to be. What about that would compel us to keep praying and not lose heart? Well, let's revisit the parable. The widow. This widow couldn't get justice in a decent courtroom, but much less a corrupt one. Widowhood in ancient Israel was sort of the ultimate state of vulnerability. Women didn't normally bring cases before the court, so the fact that she's arguing her own case means that she is completely vulnerable, completely destitute, and alone. She doesn't have a nearby male, a next of kin, that can bring her case to the court on her behalf. She has to do it herself. And the fact that she keeps coming day after day means that she doesn't have the, have the money to pay a bribe, which is how many cases were settled in that day. She's absolutely powerless. Well, almost. She has one weapon, her capacity to annoy. In most families, the youngest kid is the loudest, and they scream and squeal the most. And it's no different for us and our four kids. Now, we have other kids who can be louder in short bursts, like a sprinter, but there's only one that can be loud for the marathon, and that's Elliot, our five-year-old. I'll often ask Katie, why does he keep screaming? Why is he squealing? Why won't he be quiet? And she reminds me, because it's his only weapon. He's not as big as his brothers or sister, and so he uses his only weapon his capacity for decibels. Or if that fails, he'll come and tell on them to us. Now, we've been watching the Cosby Show as a family, and Katie recently bought me his book on fatherhood, and it's a gold mine. And he says, when children come to their parents to tell on a sibling, they think that their parents are interested in justice. They're not. They're interested in quiet. And that's why... They intervene, and that's often why I intervene, because Elliot is so loud, I want him to be quiet, so I go and address the situation. Notice the judge's soliloquy here. I don't care about God or people, but this woman is wearing me out. Our translation, the New International Version, has she might come and attack me, and that's because one of the words in the Greek is a boxing term. It means to get a black eye from someone. Now, chances are this judge is not worried that this little woman is going to come beat him up. What he's worried about is that he has no peace. (laughs) He's worried that she will continue to make his life uh, uh, just noisy, and he, she is annoying him to no end. He wants quiet. He wants peace. So is this what's supposed to motivate us to pray always and not lose heart? If we bother God enough that he'll give us what we want? No. Because ultimately the story is not about the widow, and it's not about the unjust judge. This is just an extreme situation that Jesus has painted for us to get to a deeper point. The parable is finally about the character and the trustworthiness of God.
Jesus is not saying that when you face the unjust judge, whatever form that may take, if you will trust God persistently that he'll make it all okay. You and I have been through situations where we, we know that's not the case. God doesn't often and doesn't always just sweep, swoop in and make everything okay and wave his magic wand. That's not the point of the parable. There are often times where God's inscrutable will and timing allows certain things to exist in our lives and in the world that don't make sense to us, things that we would rather him do away with immediately. And he's also not saying that the key to persuading God to get what you want is perseverance, that if you pray persistently like the widow, then maybe you'll annoy God and he'll answer you and give you justice. No, what we should see is a little bit deeper. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If a widow can get justice from a rotten judge like that by pestering him day and night, how much more can we expect God, who is justice in person, to bring deliverance, to bring salvation? And yet, there's another part of this. Because the widow's persistence in the midst of wrong is actually a picture of the Christian faith in general. Will he find faith on the earth when he returns? Not faith in general, but the faith. Praying to God in the certainty of God's ultimate salvation describes the whole life of belief, the whole life of Christianity. This is the faith, not the bare act of prayer, but prayerful trust in the character, prayerful trust in, the, in resting in God's character and his salvation. That's a picture of the Christian life. The persistence of the widow is not simply that she prays more than everyone else does as an act. It is her faith. That is what Jesus is recommend, recommending to us, is a holding on faith. It is resting in God's promises in the midst of a broken and sometimes chaotic world. A pastor friend of mine was waiting for an appointment the other day in a coffee shop, and the oddest thing happened to him. He was praying through the, the Daily Office, which is an Anglican prayer book, and a woman starts talking to him over his shoulder while she's waiting for her coffee. And she asks him what he's reading. And he explains it to her that it's a prayer book. And she says that she's a Christian too. And continues to talk to him, either not noticing or not caring that she's interrupting his prayer time. Now what you need to know about my friend is that he lost an arm to cancer when he was 12 and most people eventually get around to asking him about it. And she finally does, and then says that she can feel his pain and that she has a prompting to pray for him and ask if she can pray for him. Now, as Steve will attest, this would make me exceedingly uncomfortable in a public place, someone praying over you. But my friend is a better Christian than I am, and so he says, fine, go ahead and pray. So she begins to pray that God would heal his inner pain and give him strength and give him peace and so forth and other Christiany things. But then she prays out loud that his arm would grow back. He had to keep, he had to try really hard to keep from laughing out loud as she prayed in this coffee shop. Now I'm sure that she was very well-meaning, but see, she didn't have a theological category for having contentment and even joy in the midst of 
of a broken body in the midst of a broken world. She didn't have a category for that. The only thing that she could think to pray for is to restore his arm, that that's the only way that he could be happy and that he could be full and whole. She just saw him as someone who is suffering physically now, something my friend rarely thinks about. And everything bad must be eradicated now or I can't have joy, I can't have contentment, I can't be happy, I can't go on hoping. I just lose heart because this thing is wrong. The faith, prayer, as Jesus is talking about it here, is not learning to turn a blind eye to injustice, nor is it taking a naive view of suffering which belittles people's real pain, but it's taking stock of the way that sin has truly infected our world and learning patience as well as hope. It's looking for It's waiting intently for God's final resolution, his full salvation, not just a quick fix. The widow's faith involved waiting, but waiting doesn't mean that God is absent. Waiting doesn't mean that he is uncaring. It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. The widow doesn't doesn't wait on God, but she waits with God. And she believes that God is actually waiting with her, that he is in the midst of her pain. If we're the widow, and often we are, how do we begin to let that inhabit our prayer life? How do we begin to have faith in the midst of losing an arm, losing a child, losing something very important? How do we then not reckon that, well, God doesn't care for me, or prayer doesn't work? or this faith is not worth clinging to. Let me just sum up this way, because we need to remember who it is that's telling the story. It's not just a great philosopher. It's not just a coach. It's not a grandfather who's lived many years and seen the good times and the bad times. It's not a guru selling your best life now. It's Jesus. Whatever we say about the problem of pain of evil, about the problem of the fact that nothing seems to be changing. However we answer that quandary, it can't be. It's not that God is capricious or that he stands far off and offers us just simple platitudes about one day it will get better. Jesus, God himself, enters into the pain. He enters into your story. He's willing to wait with you. He offers up his own life to put a final end to suffering and evil. What we must remember as we listen to this parable, as we hear from Jesus, is that Jesus says elsewhere, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, when you see me, when you see the way I live, you know then how God is. You know about the person at the center of the universe Because I have brought him near, Jesus says. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you pray, picture him. When you grow tired, remember that he carries your grief and shame and guilt and sin. When you begin to lose heart, remember that he has risen from the dead so that your prayers are not in vain. It's not just that one day things will get better. 
It's that one day he will remake everything, that every wrong will be righted. Every tear will be wiped. It's not just that one day things will get better and the good will one day outweigh the bad. It's so much more. What Jesus is saying is that at the center of the universe, this is what God is like. Instead of demanding your life, he gives up his. Instead of leaving you and I in the mess that we have created, he makes all things new. Instead of leaving us in our sin, he offers forgiveness full and eternal. If this, friends, is what God is really like, then we can pray. Let's do so now. Father, I pray that in this short few minutes, you have communicated your grace to your people. I pray that you would compel us to pray, not so that we can get what we want, but so that your will can be done in our lives and across our city and across our world. Let us be instruments in that. Father, give us patience. Give us hope. For those of us who are suffering greatly now who, or who have suffered something greatly in the past and we have this big black hole that we don't know if you're ever going to fix, we pray, Father, would you wait with us? Would you intervene? Would you incarnate your promises into our lives now so that we can keep going, so that we don't lose heart? Father, give us courage, give us strength, give us hope because of Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.